always excited to have guests with us and members know that we've been praying for you guys and we want to continue to pray for for you guys. Let us know how we can pray for you. All right. With that said, we are in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, and we are in verses 7 through 16. When you've arrived at the text, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 16. When you've arrived, say word. Can you please stand? We stand out of reverence to God's holy and righteous word. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse, strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefit those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin and burn outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you open up our eyes and minds and hearts this morning. Reveal to us, God, your word, your word that does not change. You do not change. And God, we are looking for something solid because everything around us is changing. Our world is changing. Everything is changing, but you remain the same. And we look and we see the solid foundation that we are wanting to build our lives upon. And that's you, Father. But God, I pray that you teach us what we do not know. Make us what we are not. And give us what we do not have. And God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. The title for today's sermon is Spiritual Leadership in the Church. All over the world, people are crying out for good leaders. Crying out for good leaders. They're just looking for leaders to lead. They're looking for leaders that has a sense of integrity and leaders that can serve people. Even in our own nation, we are concerned, like, who should we vote for? Is, is that person good? I remember um, when I voted a couple of weeks ago, the first question that I, I asked myself is, who are these people I'm voting for? Are they good? It's not even about Democrats, Republican. It's, it's really about, are you good? Are you good for us? Are you good for the people, right? We are in this feverish search for good leaders in our nation, in our country, in our world. And the same applies to the church. Spiritual leaders are very important to the church. 
Today you have guys who get up and preach and guys who are pastors, but they live double lives. And people are fine with that. They are constantly doing things that are against the Bible, and people are fine with that. However, friends, come in closer and don't miss this. Spiritual leaders are very important to the church. And we must make sure that the leaders that we do have in the church are biblical, are spiritual, are pursuing a life of holiness. Oswald Sanders, this is what he mentions. He says, true greatness, true leadership is found in giving yourself in service to others, not in coaxing or inducing others to serve you. And we, we notice here in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 16, we are given examples to follow. Two examples to be exact. First, we are called to remember our leaders, our godly leaders. As a matter of fact, if you notice in chapter 13 alone, the word leaders is mentioned three times. Here in our text, in verse 7, it says, remember your leaders. Then in verse 17, it says, obey your leaders. And then in verse 24, it says, greet all your leaders. So, so here, the author of Hebrews is saying, spiritual leadership in the church is very important. So, so we must look at spiritual leaders, pray for spiritual leaders, pick the right leaders to lead the church of God. I absolutely love this because in our church, we have been faithfully preaching about a plurality of eldership and deaconship. We, we are taking our time walking through these things. We work through our covenant and our constitution where we implemented those words in there. And, and we are ready to move toward a plurality of eldership. And the names that we, we, we have, and, and listen very carefully, these brothers are, are serving in these ministries already. They, they might not have the title of eldership, but, but nevertheless, they are serving in that ministry. But what I love about our church is that I don't have to do things on my own. I have a group of brothers who are able to help make decisions. We have what we call a council. And every time we meet up, we make decisions together. Thank God that I don't have to do this on my own, that I have accountability with these men. But we are looking to move towards a plurality of eldership. And the names that we do have is, is Jerry Revet, who is our Sunday school teacher. We have Luke Setatal, who is also a Sunday school teacher. And we also have Tony Lede, who teaches and preaches. These brothers are already doing the work. They're already basically fulfilling the role of an elder. However, it is important for us as a church to recognize that and to affirm that. So what we're going to do is this. In January, January 29th, I want to give you some time to think about this, to pray about this. January 29th is when we will vote to get these brothers to be elders in this local church. Now, we also have one person that we're looking at to be a deacon. We have two deacons already. Gerald Andre and Yui Rivet, and then we are looking at Sean Snow to be our next deacon, uh, the other deacon. So we'll have three deacons. 
So we will vote on Sean Snow being our deacon here in this local church. We're going to start small, but throughout the years we'll add more and more as, as the Lord is leading us to do this. But what I love about our church is this, coming closer, don't miss this, is that we get to vote. We, we get to be a part of this. We get to affirm what God is doing in the lives of these men. So from now until January 29th, pray for them. If you have any concerns, we don't want you to be silent. We also don't want you to gossip. We, are, we want you to come to us. If there are any concerns that you think about these brothers' life and you say, man, I don't see them as an elder, or I have a problem with that, we want you to come talk to us. The goal is to lead you. These brothers and myself, we want to pastor you, lead you, and guide you. So please do this. We will let you know. We want to give you enough time because we know the holidays, you guys are visiting with family, and, and perhaps by in the next few minutes you're going to forget about this but we will remind you on a consistent basis but January 29th is when we will vote but we want you to come and talk to the brothers why am I saying all of this It's because of this text there is a great emphasis here on spiritual leaders godly men leading the church now it's very important as well we see in the text there is a great example to follow which is godly leaders but there's also a great example to follow, which is our heavenly leader, Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. It's not me. It's not the elders we will get. It's not deacons. It's not you. Jesus is the head of the church. And we bow and submit to Jesus. So we are called to imitate Jesus, to follow Jesus. So this morning, I want you to consider two points within this passage of Scripture pertaining to spiritual leadership in the church. First, we must look to our godly leaders in the church. We must look to them. We must observe their lives. We must be encouraged by the way they love people and love God and love their families. We must look to them. And two, we must look to our heavenly leader in the church, namely Jesus. And we see this in verses 8 through 16. The first point, we see it in verse 7. The second point, we see it in verses 8 through 16. I pray that you're ready. Let's dive within the word of God together. This week, we will focus on spiritual leadership in the church. Next week as well, we will observe spiritual leadership in the church. But here is a beautiful passage of scripture. The first point, we must look to our godly leaders in the church. Friends, see for yourself in verse 7 what he says. Look in your own Bibles. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. So here's a small Hebrew church going through all kinds of persecution, trials, and tribulation. And, and, and towards the end of the epistle or the letter, you have the author of Hebrews saying to them, remember your leaders who spoke the word. Remember the ones who shared the gospel, who preached the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught you of doctrines within Scripture. We have three commands here pertaining to godly leaders. First, he says to remember. 
Second, he says to consider. Third, he says to imitate. So when you think of godly leaders, there are three things you must do. Remember, consider, and imitate. So let's focus on the first command here. Remember. It's kind of peculiar that he would mention the word remember. Why why not honor or respect as Paul mentioned or Peter mentioned? But remember is a very peculiar word here. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul used this exact word in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. But in reference to Jesus, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. It's the same word, remember here. This word in Greek basically means to call back to your mind something specific about that person. Call back in your mind your experience with that person. So in, in Paul's command, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, he's saying, remember your salvation. Remember how God saved you. And here, the author of Hebrews is saying, remember the leaders. Remember how they walked with Jesus. Remember how they lived for Jesus. Now, here specifically, if you notice that three times the word remember is, uh, leadership is mentioned. The first time he says remember. The second time he says obey. And the third time he said greet. The the, The last two pertains to leaders who are still alive. The first pertains to perhaps leaders who died. So here's the persecution. Here are the pastors and elders who are preaching the gospel. And and perhaps they have been killed because of their faith. And and, and the author here is saying, remember their lifestyle. Remember how they live for Jesus. In other words, these men are saying to us exactly what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. When Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and a time of departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is later for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will give to me on that day. But not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Here specifically, those saints are saying this. Remember how I live for Jesus Similar to when you think of chapter 11, right? The hall of faith. That we remember all of these men and women and how they lived for God. And such remembrance give us a great passion to live for Jesus. But this remembrance here is greater than the remembrance that we have in chapter 11. And here's the reason why. Coming closer, coming closer. When there are people in our lives today that love Jesus, love their wives, love their family, love people, preaching the gospel, living holy lives, they are by far some of the greatest examples in our lives today. Greater than the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 because we don't know these people personally. They have illustrated what it means to live for Jesus so we can see it. So it's way better for us that we can see someone living for Jesus than just hearing about it. 
So I'm hearing about Moses' faith. Yes, it stimulates a passion in my heart. I'm reading about Moses' faith. Yes, it's amazing. But man, when I can see true faith in the heart of someone right before me, it's a great example. Let me give you a perfect example of this. We can read books that Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas, two of the greatest golfers ever, Brother Gerald, and we can read books on them teaching us how to play golf, how to swing correctly, how to move our hips, how to keep our head down, like Brother Gerald always says. Keep your head down, keep your head down. Right, Brother Gerald? Those who play with Brother Gerald get the joke. But nevertheless, we see exactly that all of these men, these two men, they can write great things about golf to us. And we can read it and read it and read it. And it's awesome. But Ben, it is so amazing that you're playing golf and you have Miss Susan, who is a certified PGA instructor, who is teaching you. She is with you. She is even greater than Tiger Woods at this moment because Tiger is not with you. But Miss Susan is. Miss Susan is teaching you. She is helping you understand when you do something wrong, Ben, don't do that. But this is the proper swing that you need to have. Friends, in the same way for us today, that our leaders are before us, that they're living godly lives before us, and there's great intimacy in that. But we live in a culture where we make much of the dead, right, and how someone died for Jesus, rather than why they died for Jesus. Do you understand what I'm talking about? We read stories about John Huss, and John Huss is called, the goose is cooked. The phrase, the goose is cooked, is basically that your, whatever plan you have has, has, has fallen. It's, it's, it's not happening. So when John Huss, in, in 1415, died because of sharing his faith, and he was burned to the stake, most people remember him dying rather than why he died. And this is the culture we live in today. We, we lionize people. We make much of Christian leaders because of the books they write, because of certain things they are saying, but not because of the way they're living for Jesus. I love Vody, but Vody is not a part of this church. I love John Piper. But John Piper is not a part of this church. Have you ever met Piper? Have you ever met John MacArthur? And these guys are amazing in my eyes. Do you know Jerry Revet? Luke Setatal? Yui? Gerald? They're great influence in my life. And these guys, you know why? Because they're with me. I see them when they struggle. I see them when they love their wives. I see them when they confess to Jesus. This is the beauty of the local church. This is how we must do this. So he says here that we are called to remember. Remember. But not only remember, we are called to consider too. Consider. Notice what he mentions here. Consider the outcome of the way of life. The word consider actually means to look at again and again and again. To observe carefully can't observe Tiger Woods swing carefully if I've never met him, but I, but I can't observe a PGA instructor that's right next to me. I, I can't observe Vody Bauckham. I can't observe John Piper and John MacArthur as carefully, but I can observe you in this church 
who are loving Jesus. This is the importance here. Notice what Al Mola mentions. Al Mola says, discipleship consists of living our lives before others in such a way that they learn from us. Not only from what we teach, but also from how we live. Teach it, but live it. Live it out. And we have by far one of the greatest passages of Scripture. So, so this will be the Scripture that we use to look at the elders and deacons in our church, specifically elders, because this text deals with elders. And it's in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Use this as a measuring stick. It says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if, any, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may, be or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is what we use. When we evaluate in elders, this is exactly what we use. This is what you use to get me to be your pastor. This is exactly what we use to observe the lives of these elders. And to say, man, you must not be a lover of money. You must be hospitable. You must be able to teach. You must be above reproach. And third, imitate their faith. So not only remember, not only consider, but we're called to imitate. Paul loved this word. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, be imitators of of me as I am of Christ. You get it. This word imitate gives us an idea of someone who is living for Jesus. And we are saying, man, because of Christ in them, the hope of glory, I want to live like they do for Jesus. And our leaders in the church, we must desire to imitate their lifestyle. They're not perfect men. They're not perfect. The only perfect person is Jesus. But we must look at our leaders and say, wow, they, they are serving Jesus. They fall. They sin. But when they fall and sin, are they broken before God? Are they broken before people? Are they designed to pursue Jesus? Come in closer and like this down. I said it earlier, but I want you to get it again. We live in a culture where we find ourselves contemplating or admiring the death of godly men and women more than imitating the faith by which they have attained to it. Notice with me the second point. I love this. 
transition from godly man to the heavenly leader. I love this. I love this. And here's the reason why I love this. So many people have left the faith because spiritual leaders in the church fell. Their eyes were so on these men that when they fell, they said to themselves, I don't longer want to be a part of the church. So they left the church. They're done with Christianity. And this verse is telling us here that Jesus is our greatest example. Even when men fall, Jesus remains the same today and forevermore. My faith is not in a man. I'm thankful for godly men and women in this church. I'm thankful that I could imitate your faith. But if you fall, I'm not going to fall because my faith is not in you. It's in Jesus. How many times have we seen godly people in this local church alone have fallen from grace, have left the church? And the first thing that we tend to do is to say to ourselves, well, well if they leave, then, then Christianity probably is not right. No. No, that's not the case, friends. Your faith is in Jesus, and he is our ultimate example. And this is exactly why the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our ultimate example in verse 8. See for yourself and see exactly what he says here. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. In other words, what the author is saying is this. People change all the time. Change is inevitable. You're, you're born a baby you, you die a grown man, right? Like you, you grow up, right? Your, your personality changes. It changes. We're looking at Gabby right now. We're trying to figure out like what personality Gabby will have, right? Your parents, they change the older you get. In my case, I'm just getting fatter and fatter, but it's, it's okay. <laughs> Pray for me, please. <laughs> Things change all the time. At one place, like we, we, we travel here often, right? And it used to be uh, cane fields. Some of you are a lot older. I, I love the conversation when they're saying there used to be cane fields on this side of the road, and now it's, it's just a bunch of homes. Things change on a consistent basis. And this is why for us as human beings, we need something solid. We are constantly crying out for something solid. TV shows change, style change, everything is constantly moving and moving and moving. But there's one thing that does not change, and that's God. And we are thankful for that. We are so thankful for that. That the same scriptures used in the Old Testament to share about the immutability of God the Father is used to share about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Psalm 107, verse 27. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 12. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. All pertains to the immobility of Jesus Christ. That he does not change. He is immutable. Would you love that? That God is one who does not change. And I love what the text says here. Jesus is our God. 
He does not change. Yesterday is what the text says. Look in your own Bibles. Let's read it again. I love this passage of Scripture. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He is our yesterday, which means that he cried on the cross to take away your sins. It's something that happened in the past tense. He's our God yesterday. He's our God today. The Bible tells us that he is interceding on high in the throne of God for you today. He's praying for you today in heaven. And he's our God forevermore. He is our high priest forevermore. He's our mediator forevermore. Forever. This is why the text tells us that Jesus is our yesterday, today, and forever. So, friends, remembering God's love for us, remembering the fact that he does not change, should incite two things in our hearts. And this is exactly what the text tells us here. Notice in your own Bibles that it should prevent us from being led astray by various kinds of teachings. See for yourself. Again, in verse 9, he says this to us. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So, so what is the author of Hebrews is saying here? He's saying the fact that God does not change should stimulate in our hearts a great desire for biblical doctrines that does not change. False doctrines change all the time. Philosophy changes all the time. But God's heavenly worldview does not change. Coming closer, and you need to get this. The Bible is relevant for you today as it was 2,000 years ago. I've heard people who said this to me. But Kevin, Kevin, don't you believe that the Bible changes? The philosophy, the worldview, the world changes. So the Bible must change. God's view on biblical manhood and womanhood, the, the role in the family, that, that's all changing because the world tells us it's changing. The Bible is just a, this historical book that's putting heavy burdens on people. But the world's philosophy gives us a sense of freedom, is what people are saying. But friends, no. The Bible does not change. Because the one who wrote the Bible does not change. It is relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. And therefore, we believe the word of God. And this is exactly why the author of Hebrews is saying to us, do not turn to false doctrines. Do not. It's new. It sounds good. It sounds hip. But it will condemn you. It's not good for you. So we are called to turn away from such false doctrine. So what particular false doctrine is the author of Hebrews thinking of here? It was specifically dietary. It, it was basically what several people were doing there. They would go to the Jewish converts, several of the Christians that used, they used to be Jewish people, or 
Judaism, and now they're converted to Christianity. And these people were looking to serve Christ and live for Jesus. But the Jews would come to them and say to them, hey, look, you need to add one more thing. The foods that you eat, your dietary regulation is very important for God. So don't eat this. Don't eat that. And by doing that, you will please God tremendously. God will be pleased with you. And the author of Hebrews is saying something very important here. He's saying those dietary laws will not save you. Notice in your own Bibles what he mentions here. See for yourself. Dietary laws is not going to make you holy. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by what? By grace, not by law, not by traditions, not by rituals. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So what benefits us is, is, is not our traditions, it's not rituals, it's not dietary laws, it is grace. Our hearts are strengthened by the grace of God. This is exactly what he shares here. But what else he wants us to see? He wants us to see because, that, because of the fact that God is immutable, we must understand that we have access to God. Don't miss this, guys. This is good. The author of Hebrews is saying God does not change, and because he does not change, we have access to God. Where are you getting this from, Kevin? See for yourself. Let's read together. Let's read together. This is powerful. This is powerful. Look in your own Bibles and see in verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as sacrifice for sins and burnt outside the temple. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So, so he, here's the deal here. Perhaps you don't understand this, but the author's audience would get this because they were Jewish people. And they, he's saying this. He's saying when there was this day of atonement, when the high priest would enter into the holies of holies and he would bring the blood of the ram or the lamb to make atonement for the people. He would go and he would bring the blood, but he would take the body, the carcass of the animal, and he would throw it outside of the camp. And his point here is to say to us that the sacrificial system is not what's going to save you. This carcass that was sent outside or put outside of the camp it's similar to the fact of Jesus that when he died at Golgotha, it was outside of the city gate. This is exactly what he's saying. So he says we can go outside of the camp because it's outside of the camp that we find Jesus. It is not in the sacrificial system. It is not with the traditions and rituals. So you can do all of these things to please God, but it's not in that. It's in with a pure heart, a broken heart, that we go before God, and God gives us grace. Grace upon grace. 
And friends, this means two things for us. What are they? All those who remain committed to the old Jewish system were excluded from the benefit of partaking Christ's atoning death. That's what you want to continue to do? You're excluded from the atoning work of Christ. Because where is Jesus? Outside of the camp. This is exactly what the author is saying. Second, Jesus' death outside of the camp means that he is accessible to anyone in the world who will come to him. I love what Kent Hughes mentioned. He says this, Jesus planted his cross in the world so all the world could have access. And there he remains permanently available. Would you love that he's outside of the camp? so that we can have access to God. Would you love that? Would you love that? And this is exactly what the author is saying here. So what should be our response? What should be our response? And he ends by telling us our response and giving us our response to God. What is it? First, we go to him outside. Do you see it in your own Bibles? I love this. I love this. In verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us go to him. Help me out, audience participation. Let us go to him outside the camp. Because this is where Jesus is. So so we are called to go to Jesus, embrace Jesus. But notice what else he mentions here. We go to him outside of the camp and bear the reproach he endured. The suffering that he endured. So, little Hebrew church, as you are struggling tremendously, remember your Savior who's outside of the camp suffered as well. What else must we do? What is our response to the fact that Jesus is outside of the camp? We go to him. Second, we worship him. This is our first priority of living, that we are called to worship Christ. What do you get this, Kevin? Well, look at verse 15. Through him, then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We, we are called to worship. We, we go to Jesus, but we worship Jesus. We praise Jesus. This is our number one priority here is to make much of God. We make much of Him in everything that we do. We think deeply about God. What else? What else? And finally, we must serve Him. You know, when I think about worship God and serve God, I cannot help but think about Mary and Martha. And oftentimes what we do with Martha is we say, Martha is a problem, so let's just put Martha aside. And we make much of Mary, which we should, because Mary chose the right portion. She chose the right thing. And throughout Scripture, we have Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus, learning from Jesus. In Mark 14, we, we are told of Mary coming and breaking this flask of oil 
and putting it on Jesus's feet, washing Jesus's feet with her hair, right? So why is Mary doing that? Because she's making Jesus the main priority in our life, which we should. This is worship. But, but be careful. Let's not cast Martha away. Martha was, be, was very hospitable, but she just chose hospitality above worship. There's a time for us to be hospitable, but there's also a time to worship God and to stay at his feet and to learn from him. But here specifically, we get a picture of Mary to worship God, to praise God. But this text as well gives us a picture of Martha. What do you mean, Kevin? See for yourself. See for yourself what the text mentions. In verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. This is Martha. This is doing. Not just being. It's good to be, but it's also good to do. Martha is doing here. We are called to do. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So friends, coming closer, our correct response to God, who is outside of the camp, is this. We go to him, we worship him, we serve him, and we serve others. Do you get it? Do you get it? If you're not serving others, it shows that you are not going to Jesus who is outside the camp because Jesus wants you to serve people. The world says to you, serve yourself. The Bible says to serve God and others. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. Listen, coming closer. Is there a lot of stress in your life? Is there a lot of anxiety and depression in your life? You kind of sound like a, a, a telemarketer or something. <laughs> but I, I definitely want to give you something better. Is there any of these things in your life? This is, this is how, this is how, this is how you fight these things. By serving God and serving others. I want to close with this one story. And I've shared this story with you before. And it's, I learned this story when I was in seminary. And that story is constantly on my mind. During the Second World War, right before the Second World War, psychiatrists in a small England uh, area, country, a little area, a little town, had problems just finding more and more psychiatrists and counselors. And the reason why is because people were so depressed and anxious and struggling with a lot of stuff. Now, I want to say this. There are some chemical imbalances that people deal with that are really serious things. I'm talking about an everyday anxiety that we just want control, right? This is, this is what I'm really talking about right now. And as psychiatrists are trying to find help, they just couldn't find help. There's so many people sign up to go see the psychiatrist, and, and there were just a few, a handful of them, working in this small little British town. But what happened is Second World War happened. And when the Second World War happened, the same people that were coming to the psychiatrist started serving other people. Widows who ended up losing their husband due to the war. Uh, others who were starving. These people were serving one another. And, and guess what happened? The psychiatrists themselves were out of a job. 
people were not going to them anymore. And the reason why specifically was because people were serving one another. Friends, there is a great truth here for us to get. I'm not saying psychiatrists and counselors are bad. I'm not saying that we should never go to them. But coming closer, I'm saying perhaps a lot of the problems in your life is because you're not serving anyone else but yourself. And when you learn to serve others, you will find great freedom. And this is exactly what the text is saying for us to do. To serve God and serve others. So, as we conclude, remember. Remember the godly leaders before you that God has given you. Remember them. Consider them. Imitate them. Also, remember Jesus Christ who is our ultimate example. He is yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He is immutable. And for that, we are thankful. We can rest upon Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful again for your word, for your spirit, for your power in our hearts, in our lives, God. God, I just pray that you use us mightily. Use your word to speak to our hearts, to move in us, God. I pray that we can act upon what has been taught to us. I pray, Father, that we respond to remembering our leaders, that spiritual leaders in the church is very important. And oftentimes we can neglect praying for our leaders. God, I pray that we would do this, God, with great diligence. I pray for the church as we're moving toward a plurality of eldership and more deacons that our church would be involved. We would spend time praying, making the right decisions. If we have any hesitation, God, that we would approach this brother and talk to our brothers. God, we love you and we thank you. Amen, amen, amen.